Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing pretty good. How you doing, Joe? I'm pretty good. We are recording about a day late, um, but we're getting back into the swing of things. I was at GDEX this weekend. You were out of town, sounds like. Yep. But uh, we're back for another VR Hermits. So what's going on with you? What have you been up to? Well, a lot of my free time got eaten this week. So I didn't have an opportunity to get as far into the uh, tutorials as I wanted to. But I did make a little bit of progress, and that little bit of progress generated a large number of notes and yeah. little comment things. Nice. Let's talk through those. Okay. Um, I was doing Chapter 5 in the Ray Wenderlake Unity Games by Tutorials book, which is about the game manager and pathfinding. Um. <sighs> Once again, really kind of impressed with, in general, just kind of the way things fit together in Unity. Um, every time I think I'm going to bump into a significant friction point, it's been pre-rounded off. Mm -hmm. Like, I had previously looked at Unity a couple of times, you know, years in between each attempt. And at this point, it's kind of reached this vaguely magical spot where where every time I go, ooh, that's going to be kind of complicated, and it's one line of code. <laughs> oh, okay. Or, hey, look, there's this nice little checkbox that just takes care of that for you. Um, I was thinking about, there's a spot in there where you are collecting a series of spawn points. Mm -hmm. And you need to like take all of the spawn point objects and tie them to a code element yeah a code component it's like oh well we're just going to define this as an array and then drag them over into the inspector and it just populates yeah and that ui happens and i'm thinking about the stuff that i had to go through in something like sprite kit or something like that to make all of that happen would be a real pain in the tail um and I was just kind of impressed. It was like, oh, okay, that's easy. And every time I think something is going to be hard, it turns out to be pretty easy. The bad news is that really means that all of my excuses are gone. <laughs> like, I really just have to go ahead and make something. Yeah. Um, I did find, have you seen the header attribute? For? Uh, getting... For stuff in the inspector. So you give like a property, a header, like a description, things like that? Yeah. 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 There's somewhere, I think it's towards the appendix of that book, there's a link. It's either in the book itself or a link to a page somewhere that listed a whole bunch of, I think they're called property attributes, but I may be misremembering. Uh -huh. But the, whatever those little strings of text are that go above the things you want to include in the inspector, like the serialized fields and things like that. It's just one of the things that has always impressed me about Unity is how easy it is to take code elements and kind of publish them to the interface so that there's just a GUI to tackle those things. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I hadn't previously seen before that that just helps polish that up further. <laughs> and yeah. so it takes one of my favorite features and makes it better. And that's always happiness. Yeah. Yeah, being able to leave myself a note about what certain properties mean, it, it's definitely helpful. It's also helpful I, that you can just type in camel case and it turns it into words for you. 
So as long as yes. you name things relatively intelligently. Though simultaneously, I actually kind of find that obnoxious. <laughs> um, largely because it means that what I see in the interface is not what I should type to do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, there's now a difference between those two things. And in the little index in my head, I have to make the translation between those two things. Because the game has gone ahead and done it for me. I wonder if there's a checkbox somewhere that I can turn that off. Hmm. Like, please stop doing that. Just show me the name of the property. Yeah. Um, yeah that, would, that would be interesting. It would be particularly helpful if you could turn that off, but only for your code. Like, leave all of the default ones the way that they're specified by Unity. Just show me the ones that I wrote in a slightly different syntax. That would be helpful. Cause I, oh, yeah. There yeah. are times where I'm like, who does this belong to? <laughs> um, I think it's a it's more of a language feature thing, so it's really not necessarily Unity's fault. But with that header attribute... I'm constantly annoyed that there isn't a semicolon at the end of the line. <laughs> constantly. Constantly annoyed. Um, and for the most part, I wasn't using them for leaving, like, putting a note in about an individual property, but more about just kind of creating a divider mm -hmm. between groups of properties so that I could title a section Yeah, is really what I was using it for. Like... These are these are all object references. These are all, you know, in-game constants, yeah. for lack of a better term, even though they're not constants. But it, it does make you think about what order you dump all your variables in. You just throw them at the top of a file and leave them. <clears throat> yeah, and I have a tendency to group them, but I have a tendency to group them ideologically. Yeah, me too. And I'm not sure that that's optimal here from the example that I was just talking about. Like, oh, here are all of my object references. I would normally put like the, if I was dealing with, okay, this game spawns aliens. Well, here's the reference to the alien prefab, and then here's the max number of aliens, and here's the spawn rate, and all of that stuff would kind of all go together. And, yeah. It, welcome to the fun of organizing stuff in code. <laughs> Because um, now that I'm thinking about it and breaking that down in my head, it really isn't going to hurt me to have that prefab reference right there in that block. Hmm. Okay. So what else? <clears throat> um, I don't know if it's a Visual Studio versus Mono Develop thing, but the code completion this time around is much better than in any of my previous attempts at learning Unity. Yeah. Like it was just, it was so inconsistent and tough to work with that I got in the habit of just not using it. Which isn't, you know, it, it removes a huge amount of the advantage of trying to use a decent code editor in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was so bad that when I wrote a comment, I, I gave feedback to the Unity folks about it, and actually was forced into a situation where I had to hold up Xcode's code completion as a positive example for them. Nice. That's how bad the code completion was. Wow. So I made myself a little note that I wanted to talk about this, that this was something that I found really interesting and it was kind of cool and I wanted to give them bonus points for it. And of course, as soon as I write this note, 
code completion starts acting really funny. <laughs> um, I end up with things that should totally complete and don't. And so if I'm creating a, a public property mm-hmm. that's going to store a transform, public space T-R-A-N, and I get no code completion for that transform. But if I hit backspace once, I get code completion. Hmm. It doesn't matter how many characters I put in. If the code completion doesn't work, the way to get the code completion to work is delete one of the characters, even if it's a totally valid character. That's weird. I'm actually becoming less precise and code completion works. Now, again, this is in Visual Studio. I don't know where the problem is. Yeah. But it's now just driving me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to drive me nuts as soon as I see it. I probably have been dealing with that for a couple of weeks and didn't even notice it. Yeah. So public T-R-A-N. Hmm. And nothing shows up. Backspace the N. Whole list shows up. Yeah. I mean, Visual <sighs> Studio on the Mac is still pretty new. It just came out in yeah. May or June, I think. So yeah, it's about to have some bugs and quirkiness. They're updating it pretty regularly though so i think hopefully we'll see some improvements yeah and unfortunately i don't know enough about the way that code completion works or the stuff that you feed it works to even know whether it is actually a problem with visual studio or with something that's happening in unity or maybe something to do with the way i installed the two of them like i may have broken it the Mm -hmm. code completion gets there which suggests to me that all the information is available but i don't know why it isn't working it's a silent failure. You probably broke it. I'm not going to say that I didn't. But if I did, it was innocent. Not because I was screwing around in settings. <laughs> this time. This time. Um, so as I'm going through this tutorial, at one point I, have, I make a game manager object in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And then I add a script to it, a, a script component, mm-hmm. and tie that to a new script called Game Manager. And for some reason, that Game Manager script gets a different icon. Yep. That is kind of re- a reserved word for a script. There's a bunch of those that will show up with little gear icons. There's a page somewhere in the documentation that has a list of them. There's, there's also special folders that you name a certain way um, that have kind of secret attributes. I think editor, like just a folder named editor, anything you put in there doesn't affect the rest of the project. It's like where you put plugins and stuff. Maybe I might be misremembering that. Whatever it is, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I don't. I I don't know. You need a game manager. Every game needs a game manager, apparently. Yeah. I'm just not sure that the gear is the icon that I associate with a chunk of code. Yeah. That feels more like the object or the component or something rather than here is the chunk of code that actually does this. Give me a different scripty icon. I don't know. Yeah. The gear, it, the gear icon for settings in general is kind of weird like they're where are the gears on my computers 
That's a, that's a little out of date. <laughs> Why don't you show me the floppy disk icon for save? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I get it. It's a, it's a, I mean, we're talking about the minorest of minor friction points. But as much as humanly possible, I'd love to look at it and go, wait, how did that happen? You should do like a uh, a Twitch channel of of you just reacting to user interfaces. <laughs> just using new software. Like, wait a second. Just, no, like scratch your beard a little bit. Get, oh, yeah. get frustrated and walk away. That that happens a lot. We'll, we'll first episode will be Blender. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. First, second, third, and fourth episodes will be Blender. Um, and then I had one comment about the way the Wender like uh, Unity book is working. Yeah. The Sprite Kit book favored kind of semi-long kind of paragraph length code chunks mm-hmm. that would have comments. Yeah. And then after that, they would go through and explain what each of those chunks did. And in a lot of spots so far, and again, I'm only at chapter five so far, the unity book likes telling me line by line what to do. Mm-hmm. Like insert this line, now insert this line and now insert this line. And each time it'll tell you what that particular line does, which is nice for knowing exactly what line they're talking about when they're describing what a particular line does. But then you're dealing with like, okay, now put this right after this part or just inside this set of brackets or the, the instructions that they have to give you to make the code look right are a little circuitous. Yeah. It makes it makes some extra content that they have to write. It also just takes up a lot of extra formatting because each one of those code blocks takes quite a bit of space on page. So yeah. I can see what I, you mean. I, I find it a little bit easier, particularly if I did something wrong and I have to go back and fix it. It's nicer to have the big chunk of example. Mm-hmm. Now I've theoretically got that because they've got all the code examples from every chapter, so I could pull up one of those and look at it. But I like kind of being in code editor and book mode. Not code editor, code example, code other thing and book mode. That's a lot of stuff on screen yeah. at once. I found it I found this format a little bit easier to work with this time because I was typing in all the code as I went. So I just had the mm-hmm. PDF on one screen and Unity and Visual Studio on another and just typing everything in. So the line-by-line thing, even though it was technically more content because of all the explanations, it seemed easier for me to wrap my head around to you know type in one or two lines of code as opposed to 12 or 13 at a time. Yeah. No, no, no. It's the only spot where it gives me a little bit of friction is when I'm not 100% sure that I inserted the line that they just told me to insert in the exactly right place. Yeah. There's a lot of that. and Right. And so, it again, it's a tiny friction point, but it's kind of all over the place. So they go, insert this line. I- exactly where? Like, okay, I'll put this here, and then I'm kind of looking at the code, trying to understand what the new code does in the context of the old code. And, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure it does go inside this if rather than outside this if. And they've got little indicators to try and help you do that. But it's just trying to round off the edges on the friction points, not actually just removing the friction point. Um, 
So we, we've talked about the fact that we like the voice of these books, their sense of humor and the way that they tackle problems. And I'm liking the amount that I'm getting done for the quantity of code that I'm writing and the amount that I'm learning. This is all really great. So I got to kind of poke them for the parts that I'm not 100% thrilled about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Understandable. So yeah, I'm just barely edging into the part about pathfinding. Um, which I haven't quite gotten far enough in that to have any idea what I'm looking at yet. Yeah. I'm mostly flipping the switches they tell me to flip and hoping that it's going to come out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't entirely help that I actually understand how pathfinding works. So I've read like a bunch of articles on game AI and writing pathfinding systems and stuff like that. Yeah. But trying to connect that with what I'm doing in the unity interface is a little rough right now. Well, yeah, the what you'll do in this book, you're not going to be writing any pathfinding code. You're no. going to be implementing Unity's pathfinding code. Mm -hmm. Which is remarkably easy. Same thing with Unreal Engine. That's one, I guess that's one thing that I, I like more about Unreal Engine is not the pathfinding, but the navigation mesh in Unreal Engine is just a big block of lines that you can drag around and move around where in unity you kind of have to bake it onto the meshes okay into your scene so it's, it's just a little bit more finicky in unity like you, you need to be pretty much done with your scene or at least in a section of your scene before you're ready to start messing with navigation whereas unreal engine it's just another game object that you can resize and you you can expand how high the nav mesh goes just by making the thing taller like <laughs> it's just like resizing a cube yeah so that covers my comments yeah at this point that's that's my topics what have you been working on so like i mentioned last week i basically took a week away from working on my daydream project so i pretty much finished up the prototyping that i wanted to do and figured out the main things that i wanted to figure out from that process so I stepped away from it for a week um, with basically just the intention of relaxing and collecting my thoughts and wrapping up some other projects, both personal and business stuff. And then, uh, yeah, it was a pretty quiet week. I did some reading. I finished a couple books. I read another book on Unity. It was one of the books that we got with a Humble Bundle a couple months ago. Um, I poked around in three of the other Unity books in that pack and realized that these are pretty much all saying the same thing. It's not really a good use of my time to keep working through these. So uh, just kind of, I'll flip back through them at some point. The one thing that I did pick up from one of them is just a small detail, but it's something that I had never read or even occurred to me to try. But in the hierarchy on the side right next to the scene editor. If you click on an object, obviously it will highlight that object in the scene editor and populate the inspector. But if you double click on that object, it also does that focus mechanism, like when you push the F key, which just never, it never occurred to me to double click in the hierarchy view because that's like a, a master detail layout. You don't double click a list item in a master detail, but apparently you can. It does an extra thing. 
So wait, you're saying if I click on an object and hit the F key, it does the zoom in just like if I double clicked it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was using the double click today to to get to my alien. Nice. <laughs> and that worked fine. I, I think I actually guessed at it because didn't it work the same way in, in Unreal? If it did, I didn't realize it. I, I think Unreal worked the same way that you could... You could find, you could get to any object by just double clicking on it in the uh, the hierarchy navigator. Um, so there's an F key then. How yeah. very nice. Yeah. So I was just clicking once on the object and then mousing over the scene or the Unreal Engine editor and hitting the F key to focus. Uh, not the F key. Yeah. Is it like a command F? No, just F. You have to be. You have to mouse over the scene view. Your mouse has to be over the scene view. Oh, hey, look at that! Mm -hmm. It's really handy when you're just moving a bunch of stuff around. Like today, I was dragging out lots of floor elements. So yeah, that that was pretty much you know out of a hundred and sixty-four page book, that was the only tip I picked up. <laughs> the Actually, Joe, you should find that very heartening. Yeah. Um, it means you've made a lot of progress. Hopefully. So I spent a couple of days um, torturing myself, for lack of a better term. I decided to give Blender one last try. And this was... What? Wait, wait, wait. Why? Well, this was in the wake of... you know I was kind of wrestling between... Paying for Maya, paying for Adobe products, paying for a couple of other things, or just reducing all these things down and using open source stuff. So I decided to give myself, you know, I had a pretty light workload. So I, I gave myself all of Wednesday to try to work with Blender, make some stuff, do some video tutorials, do some reading tutorials, and, and just try to get used to the interface. And long story short, couldn't get used to it. I tried using the Maya controls. There's like an, an alternate control scheme that you can use to change away from Blender controls to Maya controls, but that just breaks a bunch of other shortcuts. So it makes it impossible to follow any documentation. It would probably be fine if I already knew how to do 3D modeling, but in terms of like trying to learn this at the same time that I'm trying to learn the application, then yeah, it was just too much to wrap my head around. So... Yeah, it wasn't necessarily a waste of time because I learned some stuff about 3D modeling during that. Um, but the end result was, yes, I'm going to continue to give Autodesk money. <laughs> um, it just gets me so much more. And I guess that's the other thing. I had been thinking of them as kind of having roughly the same feature sets, but Maya seems to get me a lot more as well and just the tools are better and easier to use um, and just how customizable it is seems to be really easy to use so I'm going to stick with it you know Joe one of the real advantages of letting you get further ahead of me in this kind of educational path mm -hmm. is you get to step on all the landmines for me yeah I'm used to so. for the record this relationship usually works the other way around <laughs> It, I, I was kind of concerned that that it wouldn't work the other way, and, and it's totally working. I, I really appreciate your efforts, Joe. Yeah, yeah. For years, Dave has mentored me in FileMaker development and Swift development, and 
now he's just I'm just gonna hang out for the summer and let Joe get way ahead and then he can figure out all the stuff oh do tell me about that other that other feature Joe that sounds great yeah so yeah um you know it was, it was a nice light week of work I spent a good chunk of time playing some games and um, finished up some podcasts and some shows and just got a lot of stuff off my plate and to the point where I don't really like to have a lot of you know mini projects in the GTD sense on my plate as I work on a big software project so it got to the point where this weekend I had pretty much just wrapped everything up and I spent at least five hours yesterday just sitting in a chair staring off into space I'm like there, there's nothing else to do I don't really want to start a new thing <laughs> I'm kind of enjoying not having anything to do. So. You said you were playing games. What were you playing? So I picked up a game called I Am Setsune, or Setsunu, depending on how you say it. It is a JRPG by Square um, that is very much in the school of Final Fantasy, but um, just not part of the main franchise but very reminiscent of their early games, particularly like the games from, I would say, you know, Final Fantasy three, four, five, and six, like that era. Um, but with modern graphics and modern game mechanics and really well polished, and the entire thing was made in Unity, which I didn't expect. And uh, so I spent a good time playing that. I finally, uh, see how many list, how many listeners I can make roll their eyes now. It's 2017, and I finally played Journey, which has been out for like a really long time. I don't know. Um, I got that yesterday, and uh, it was a relatively early PS3 game. Yeah. So yeah, it's been out for a while. Yeah, I, I skipped that entire generation, and I just got a PS4 last year. So, so you know, just a ton of games to catch up on. So I played through that the first time yesterday. It's definitely one of those games I'm going to want to play through a couple of times. But that was a lot of fun. That was my alternative yesterday to... Um, we'll, we'll come back to GDEX in a couple of minutes. But I, I spent the entire Saturday at GDEX being around lots of people and talking. And then as I was walking home from GDEX, I was thinking, Wow, this is weird. Usually... I'm exhausted when I'm around that many people, but I feel great. And then the next day I woke up, I'm like, I'm not talking to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, skipped my morning walk and just played games all day. Like, I'm not going out there. No way. Not going to do it. Didn't answer the phone. There was a couple of phone calls. Like, nope. At one point, I just, like, put it on Do Not Disturb and put it in the bedroom. Like, just go away. Don't want to deal with anybody. But, uh, nice. yeah. So, that. So, speaking of. Yeah. How was GDEX? GDEX was cool. I have never been to... I've been to plenty of conventions in the consumer space, like anime conventions and sci-fi conventions and the occasional comic book convention. I've never been to a game convention and I've never been to a game developers expo, which is what this was. Um, so it was neat to see just the dynamic. There was a lot of people, but it wasn't... The space was big enough that it wasn't like swarmed with people um yeah they got a much bigger space apparently yeah this year yeah a good like third of the convention center it seemed like room to sprawl mm -hmm. it's a nice big area for the main floor 
where everybody had their game set up and were doing demos and such. There was an artist alley. There was some food. Um, interestingly, I drank Soylent every morning for breakfast and lunch, and I thought about taking one in my backpack with me. I was like, no, I don't want to be nerdy. Like, be the only nerdy guy drinking Soylent at the convention. And I got there. They had tables and tables of Soylent around in the hallways. <laughs> I guess Soylent had sponsored the conference and sent like 3,000 bottles. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So, um, I tried, I only ended up attending one panel. I had scheduled four and went to the first one, which was supposed to be about, you know, quick start for virtual reality development in Unity, which was a packed room. I think we had close to 200 people in the room ready for this to start up and the guy never showed up. So, oh. so, uh. I think they might have rescheduled it for Sunday, but I just had a Saturday pass. Um, but what ended up happening instead was myself and three other people just ended up hanging out in the room and kind of having a mini meeting talking about Unity and VR and just kind of shooting the breeze um, for about 45 minutes. So that was fun. Learned a few things, took a couple of notes learned about something called substance designer that I need to check out more, um, which maybe I'll have something to say on it next week. And I also learned about VRTK, which is a toolkit of assets that you can use for VR projects. They've got some daydream features, but it's labeled as experimental. So I'm kind of on the fence about whether or not I should even get started with it. But just it's just a pack full of shortcuts and scripts to get you over some of the hurdles to VR development. So it's worth checking Ooh. out. Let me jot that one down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. And then I went to a panel called, uh, I forget the exact name of it, but it was about misconceptions of game development um, by Jillian, who runs and works with the user group we go to, COG. So she did this packed room panel of just she's been in the industry for like over five years um so she's she's seen a lot and she's worked with a lot of new developers and been around a lot of people who just kind of want to get into it without realizing what they're getting into um the best example she had was you know somebody comes up to her and says i want to make an rpg and she has this in a five minute tirade of a laundry list to go off like here's all the things that you might not have considered yet (laughs) (laughs) and by the end of that talk that person doesn't want to make an rpg anymore (laughs) like every time like yeah that that's a big deal um but yeah that was that was a lot of fun it was i was impressed by how well attended the individual panels are I guess I'm kind of used to anime conventions where the panels are just kind of a side thing and the, you know, the showroom floor is where all the action is, but, um, they were pretty packed rooms and then, uh, spent the rest of the day just hanging out, talking to game developers. There were a bunch of people from COG that had booths. Um, so yeah, it was just cool to see some familiar faces, this is a group that we've been attending since about the beginning of the year. I think the, the January meeting was the first one, first one we went to at the Idea Foundry. And uh, yeah, it's just seeing people make progress on their games 
and demoing them and yeah i wish i could have done it if i had either stuck with my first project or had never started that project in the first place maybe i could have had something but didn't have anything worthy of showing to the outside world at this point um my i think my favorite game mm-hmm. was actually just a 2d game it had nothing to do with vr and it was made in unity by a woman named Sherry. It, the game is called 3x60. I'll put a link to it, at least to her website, in the show notes. I don't think the game is out yet. I think she's still working on it. She's going to release it on Steam, and she said maybe in some mobile platforms down the road. But it is a... In fact, I'm not going to attempt to describe it in my words. I'll use her words. Um, 3x60 is a game about collecting at least 180 glowing green circles. The catch is you're a slightly larger non-glowing white circle and the only control you have is the ability to jump upwards at any time. The only way to move side to side is to strategically bounce off the walls and occasionally something else. Um, so if you look at her website, you can see a couple of GIFs kind of demoing the, the main gameplay, but basically you decide side to side where you're going to drop the ball the game has gravity and there's some spikes at the bottom if you hit the spikes then you die the spikes go away when you collect the three green balls for that level and so at the beginning of the level you need to decide where you're going to drop the ball from if you drop it onto something flat there's no way to beat the level you're just going to bounce evidently um so you drop it on something sideways and hope you can get a bounce around and then you can jump at any point including jumping in midair so you can just kind of control the gameplay that way so it's like a one-touch game but uh really well polished she's got like 60 levels i'm not sure if they're all done yet but she says she's launching with 60 levels and just a ton of stuff it's very well designed and the thing i like about it i'm a big fan of games that don't use any language so there's no tutorial there's no words anywhere it just kind of teaches you how to play itself um you know, with really easy levels at first and then levels start to span off screen and the whole camera pans over a screen, things like that. So really well designed. It was a lot of fun. I ended up playing through like 12 levels before I made myself stop. Like, I don't want to ruin the whole game. I'll I'll (laughs) get it when it comes out. Yeah, that was probably my favorite. There was a ton of other really cool stuff there as well, but for some reason that one stuck out to me. Sounds cool. Yeah. So one thing I did last week as I was reading lots of books, um, I've been reading a couple of books on game design, not technical books as in working in Unity or Maya, but, you know, prose books about game design as an industry and, you know, things like that. So these books are really expensive. I think the average price I was seeing was around 40 or 50 bucks. And uh, one link kept coming up in my Google searches when I was comparing prices, and it was a link to Safari Books Online, which is the O'Reilly people. And they <clears throat> they launched a reading slash audio and video subscription service recently. For 40 bucks a month, you can read all of their books, either in a browser or with their mobile app. Um, and, you know, basically just what's on the tin. 
you don't get to keep the books, but you can, they've got, you know, a built-in highlighting tool and a place to take notes and things like that. Um, so I decided it was worth the money for now. It's one of those things that I'll kind of turn on and off throughout the year, like, right. like a Netflix account or lynda.com. But for right, for right now, it's really handy. Like the book I'm reading right now, The Art of Game Design, cost more than a month of <laughs> the membership. So, maybe well, and you're also a voracious reader, so you're going to read it in less than a month. Yeah, by quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think I've only I'm not I'm not as good of a reader as I like to be this year. I've only read 38 books, so I'm way behind. And most of that was sci-fi, so I don't feel like it counts. It counts. It counts. But, uh, yeah, it's it's worth checking out. There's a bunch of videos on there. Um, and these are all, you know, it's more of a curated collection. It's not just, you know, opinionated stuff. Um, so it's just some pretty good stuff. Maybe worth checking out. Not a sponsorship. Just thought it was cool. Um, particularly it was handy for me and it was good timing because I'm trying to learn a little bit about Photoshop and I'm switching over the podcast editing to audition. So they've got stuff on both of those and they've got stuff on Maya and Blender and Unity and Unreal Engine and A-Frame, like pretty much anything that I could want to learn about. They've got some books on and particularly books being the keyword because I'm kind of, videos are really helpful for learning stuff about Maya but reading is really helpful for just about everything else. And Joe finds a bottomless pile of books for $40 a month and is never heard from again. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty dangerous. So with that, um, you know, had a nice light week, did some reading, catching up on stuff, and then got started on the real version of the project today. So kind of thinking back to what you had said a couple of episodes ago of thinking of the entire prototype as a prototype and a separate project. And I'd been on the fence with that. Didn't really know if I was going to actually do that until this morning where I was like, yep, I'm doing that. And just, <laughs> new project. Yeah, new project, new repo. Um, went through and updated all the documentation I had and kind of filtered that down to just the stuff that I still want to do that, that had been amassing quite a number of ideas. And then, uh, yeah, spent the morning just dividing the game up into a couple different features that I want to work on and dividing those features up into different, I guess, just segments of the iterations that I'm going to work in. Um, working through like the iterative process is a little bit different than the way that I usually build software. I use the word iteration in both methodologies, but with, you know, a FileMaker project or a web project, an iteration usually means we're going to do these five features until they're done for these two weeks. And then we'll come back and talk about them and make any changes. Mm -hmm. And then we'll do the next five features. Whereas this is much more, I'm going to do a little bit of everything. So, you know, this first iteration, I'm going to get the SDKs working with Google. I'm going to set up an environment for the apartment and make some walls and doors and windows and some basic furniture and things like that. 
you know, a rough draft of the writing and get get a player object built with the controller and the arm model and some input. But kind of getting, I'm thinking back to the Unreal Engine course that I started with back in May and June. One of the biggest takeaways that I got from that course was um, working on working through the loop of the project a little bit of a time and always thinking, stopping, stop to think once in a while, what's the least fun thing about the project right now? And then work on that. So kind of keep moving around that circle of like, okay, I've got the tank game shooting tanks and tanks are hitting each other, but there's no way to end the game. So let's work on a, a death mechanic or a win mechanic. Or, mm-hmm. okay, now we can end the game, but there's no UI to restart the game. So let's work on that. So just kind of allowing it to, to lead a natural course. So yeah, it's, it's much different than what I'm used to, but we'll see how it goes. I'm still awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm still, there's a part of me that still wants to make 3d models for every single thing in the game and do it all myself. Um, but I'm, there's another part of me that questions how realistic that is to get this out in a reasonable time. So there's definitely going to be, for now anyway, I'm using some assets to block everything out. Um, and I found yet another low-poly asset pack today that uh, actually has... The other packs that I have had pretty good walls and not that great furniture, or maybe some of the furniture was okay, but not that great of other things. Um, I think the couch was the the standout thing last time, like this horrible, horrible blocky couch. The pack I found today has really good furniture and household items and really bad walls. <laughs> do they mesh well? Yeah, they do. Nice. And cool. the thing I like about this one is the materials aren't all really weird. Like they're easy enough for me to make my own materials with them where the other ones were mapped out into some kind of color map or I think that's what it's called. It, it, it's not clear to me how these objects. So say you drag a a kitchen table out of the asset pack and it's got a material applied to it, but it's just a color map. And I have no idea how this color map is mapped to this object and it knows which color and which texture to apply to this thing. It's really baffling. Like there's, you know, 1500 assets using the same material. Like I just don't understand what is driving that. So this pack I got today has much more separated materials and I can kind of customize things myself and load them into, load the models into Maya and work through the UV workflow and make my own materials and textures with them. And even change them much more easily. So yeah, that's what I'm working on, working with for now. Um, Just trying to get a basic scene built up today and tomorrow so that I can start working on the player stuff with, you know, I've obviously got to implement all the Google VR stuff into the scene, um, build the arm model for the player, attach the camera, and then get the input controls working, which is, you know, half a day's work right there. 
and then uh, start working on the character. The character itself, that's one area where I may end up spending a lot of time in Maya because I have, I've got the character pack that I bought a while ago and I may still end up using that, but I have a completely different thing in my in mind that doesn't look like anything that I can find anywhere. So I think I just need to make it myself. It's not, it's a simple, silly looking thing. And that's the idea. So I don't think it's going to be incredibly hard to make. Um, but it's just going to take me a lot of goofing up and messing up to actually make it go. And then I've got to actually rig it and do the animations and things like that before I can even get it into Unity. So I think what I'm going to have for a character a good part of this week and next is just a cube. <laughs> awesome. Kill the cube. Yeah. Maybe I'll put like a, a Borg material on it. No. I, hey, I, I really don't want to comment on that particular topic <laughs> without ruining what it is the the secrecy of what it is you're working on yeah it's not too secret it's just no not ready to show off yet it's it's not for me to reveal that so yeah that's pretty much all i have today um just kind of getting back into the groove of things this week and working on the stuff as as much as i can sweet I need to do some more learning yeah yeah it sounds like you're you're getting to the point where you talked a couple weeks ago about there's always a point in the course material where you just can't work on the course anymore and you've got to go start making stuff and it sounds like stuff is starting to click for you pretty quickly the more you get into it yeah I'm still learning at a high enough rate that I'm I'm being strung along, like I I I'm I'm starting to feel like I could actually make something, but I also have this sense that there is so much more that I would want to learn before I got started. Yeah, um, largely keyed off of that that sensation of, oh, I thought this was going to be hard, but it turns out it's a single checkbox. Mm-hmm. Like, let's learn a few more of those before we get started, because if I do this the long way, that's going to suck. So yeah, you should uh, try to make just a dummy scene with a few things in it and put it in the headset if you haven't done that already. I have not because that, that's a pretty awesome feeling. I'm like, I just made a world <laughs> and then stepped into it. Well, that's our show for today. Follow us on Twitter. I'm VR Hermit Dave, and I'm VR Hermit Joe. And don't forget to like and rate us on your podcast player of choice. Thank you for listening.